0: It's The Legal Toolkit with Jared Korea. With guest, Patrick Carver. We play a round of What Would Florida Man Do? And then, because we love you, we think it's time we gave you something special. Not something of actual value, though. No, never that. But first, your host, Jared Korea!
1: Now throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Yes, the Legal Toolkit's back, and it's in full effect. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I'm not great at using pipe clamps, despite the fact that handier men than I tell me that they can never have enough. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Tim Robinson was unavailable. He was doing a ghost tour at the Larvard Oaks Mansion. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. Schedule a demo to check out our new signature tool at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Patrick Carver from Constellation Marketing, I want to talk about intake forms. So when we talk to Patrick Carver in a second, he's the head of Constellation Marketing, we're going to talk a bit about collecting data for your marketing, which is a really important thing and often overlooked. Again, Patrick and I are going to chat about that. But I want to talk a little bit about the first place you collect data from most of your marketing efforts, which is intake forms. When you get a lead in your law firm, They're filling out some manner of intake form or you or an agent of yours is filling out an intake form on their behalf. And when I talk about intake forms, I guess I mean that pretty broadly, right? You have standard intake forms, contact forms at websites. You've got chat tools that do intake. Sometimes people are calling you on the phone. Sometimes you've got referrals that come in through email. So there's a number of different ways you get intake information and, Many of those ways may have different sets of information attached to them. And sometimes they have more or less complete information sets available. So, what do you do? How do you manage all this data, which is a very modern business problem, right? Well, I think the plan is that you want to make sure that you're gathering the same information for every lead you have so that it's consistent. So, how do you do that? Well, I think you use an intake form for everything and make it dynamic. So that when certain questions are answered in a specific way, the form can change based on the responses. So if somebody answers one question the other way, it may yield another question or it may reduce the size of the form. Lots of different things you can do with intake questionnaires. So for example, if you've got somebody that you're trying to work with and they answer that they're not in the specific jurisdiction you work in, they don't need to complete the rest of that form. You can just say, hey, sorry, we only work with clients in this state. Or if you're asking a question that needs some exposition, you could ask somebody, for example, uh, who's coming in for an estate plan, uh, do you have assets over a million dollars? If they say no, you may not want to work with clients like that, so you bounce them. If you say yes, you can ask specific questions about the assets. Do you own a second home? Do you have snowmobiles? I don't know, whatever it is that estate planning attorneys do. So create that form, make it dynamic, and then you're looking to do two things with these intake forms. The first is that, you're looking to get enough information to make a call on whether you want that lead to move to an initial consultation with the attorney to make the decision about whether or not they want to work with this client in the law firm. And then, two, you want to make that form so that it's not long enough that it pisses the lead off and they're going to go talk to another law firm. So, you don't want like a 50 question intake form for an initial lead. You just want to ask the most basic questions. Some of those jurisdictional questions, some of the questions about what they need from you, contact information. You can likely get out of there in seven to 10 questions, which would be really fantastic. That's enough to get basic information and to help the client move through the process quickly. So they're not going to leave it and go talk to another law firm that may have a shorter intake form. So if somebody lands on your website, hopefully they're filling out the intake form, direct them to do that or a chat tool, whatever it is that you're using to get information. If you are in a position where you're taking a phone call, make sure that you're using the intake form to ask the right questions of the lead. And when you do that, make sure that everybody's utilizing that form, whether it's you, an associate attorney, a secretarial person, or if it's somebody who is just a virtual receptionist. Maybe they're not inside your office. Maybe they're utilizing forms that you provided to them on the backside. And they're taking information down that way. Everybody, regardless of who it is, somebody who's working in your office, you yourself, an agent or a contractor that you have, they need to be utilizing the same informational forms, getting you the same information so that everybody you look at, there's a corpus of information that you can access. So where does this information go to? So let's say you got all the fields down correctly, you've got your intake forms designed the way you want them to be designed, everybody's using them, good news, completely good news on the front end, what do you do next? Well, after that, you got to put these sets of information somewhere. Sometimes that just sits in your email, right? If you're a firm that doesn't have a lot of software that you're utilizing to manage leads, that's where it's going to (laughs) live. And you may have to filter through your email to figure out where those intakes come from. Not a particularly helpful way to do that, right? Because you can't really organize that information in any way. Some people are going to take that intake information form and they're going to dump the contents of it into a spreadsheet. Also not great because that's a lot of handwork to maintain a spreadsheet. You don't necessarily want to be doing that either. So if you've got a software that you can use, now we're talking, right? you got a lot of practice management software. Some of those have lead tools available, light CRM features. And then stepping up from there, you could use a full scale CRM customer relationship management, a lead intake tool for your law firm. So you want to be able to utilize this whenever anyone contacts you and there's a manual input being done, whether it's being done by the client, potential client, I should say, or somebody who's working in your firm. Now, there are a lot more ways to capture information in an automated fashion as well. And this may affect the way that you set up your intake forms. If you know somebody's coming from a Facebook ad or a Google ad, you don't necessarily need to ask them how they heard about you. So you can eliminate that question from the intake form, and that's really helpful. And at this point in time, really any kind of lead information you take in can be managed in an automated fashion, at least the attribution of that lead. The rest of the information, you're going to get some from the client, filling that in manually, the potential client or the staff person or you who's intaking that person. So this is one of the reasons why it's really important to build a pipeline, because depending on those, where those leads come in from, your intake form may be more or less dynamic some questions may need to be added, whereas other questions may need to be removed because you can already collect that information in a different way. Once you get the intake system down, you've created a pipeline, you've segmented the data appropriately, you're using the right software, then you can move on to the data collection phase, which is oh so fun. And we're going to move on now too, because now that we've finished that up, let's discover together what our sponsors can do for your busy law practice before we totally jam out with Patrick Carver. What you may not know is the way that your law firm bills clients may directly impact whether they hire you in the first place. It's true. That's why I've got Joshua Lennon from Clio. He's a lawyer in residence over there to talk to me about this subject. Joshua, go ahead, expound. Yeah, 70% of clients are telling us they want to pay via payment plans. And while hourly rates are the most common fee structure offered by law firms, Clients are telling us 67% that they want the option to pay for legal services via flat fees. Wow. So what should lawyers do? Well, only 37% of law firms actually offer flat fees on any legal matter. So if you want to stand out, start offering flat fees. Thanks, Joshua. To learn more about the billing preferences of today's legal clients... Download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com slash (laughs) trends. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, Even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Okay, let's get to the meat in the middle of this legal podcasting sandwich today's meat is bison, which is actually quite delicious and also leaner than traditional hamburger. Bet you weren't expecting recipes today, but here we are. But I have no beef with you, listeners. Let's interview our guest today. We have for you, making his first ever, checks notes, yes, appearance on the Legal Toolkit podcast. It's the one and only Patrick Carver, who's the owner of Constellation Marketing. Patrick, thanks for coming in, man. How are you?
0: I am doing amazing. I feel privileged wow, good. to be to be in your presence, sir. <laughs> Don't get too excited. <laughs> All
1: right, let's jump into it. I got some questions for you that I'm going to hit the rump roast pretty hard. But first, Great. you run a digital marketing agency. And if I remember correctly, you started this thing from scratch. That's not easy to do. That's a pretty competitive space. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you launched your business and how you accounted for the competition when you did that?
0: sure it started when I was getting a lot of calls and emails from my dad with, who is a criminal defense <laughs> attorney and oh, okay and so <laughs> that tracks <laughs> he was utilizing one of the big marketing companies out there and would get these reports every single month uh, with a bunch of statistics and big lines and you know va- like uh graphics and everything and he would send them to me and just you know, just say is this working? What what what's going on? I I, you know, it, it feels like it's working or, you know, some months are better than others. And but will you take a look at this and, you know, basically tell me if I'm getting value out of it. And it corresponded with some work I was doing at the time with the company I was with and and it started to get into SEO and and really learn about it. And so eventually you basically just said, well, why don't you make me an offer? And so uh, eventually went in, tried it and it started working really well and that led to other colleagues getting interested in it and right. um, asking, you know, for me to help out. And so when it came to the competition, I honestly, I didn't really think about it at all because I was, yeah. you know, basically <laughs> yeah. just uh young <laughs> You're and dumb. To fix your and so <laughs> I, I didn't, it wasn't, you know, some sort of calculated uh, decision necessarily. I just, you know, kind of fell into an opportunity and it felt like, okay, I can, I can really, provide value here and it seems to be working so that's really what started it all that's funny so like
1: you're a good kid because you're not like just sending your dad to voicemail like i do with my mom sorry mom if you're listening now you know and hey like you started a company out of it that's wild if not for that you'd probably be working at nasa right now or the president or something like that
0: definitely not nasa but uh you know (laughs) (laughs) maybe something else
1: all right let's get meta you started a podcast as well you know recently Oh, yeah. And you're like early days for this. So talk to me about that, because like I started this podcast like so long ago, it was a completely different world. (laughs) Like Nobody was podcasting at that time. So how's that launch process gone? Why did you decide to do it right now when there's like a lot of podcasts out there?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, you know, to be candid, it's probably not going well, you know, the launch process (laughs) uh, because... You, you know, That's I kind of just Bear started your soul it be- here on our it- show <laughs> because you know it felt like everybody was getting into it and you know to kind of add some legitimacy to what we were doing, uh, seemed like a good move, but that was you know probably a year ago and it, it kind of hit a pause. And you know, since then, uh, I think we've you know gotten much better at it and we have a much more organized uh, approach to it. You know, we're still kind of finding our, our footing a little bit and what. Kind of our lane is in terms of of what we want to cover. I mean, obviously, we're we're a marketing company, but I wanted to figure out a way that you know we could be authentic and and add value, but not just talk about exclusively marketing. That it would be a completely self promotional type of uh, endeavor. And so it's it's been interesting, and we just really try to look for the the crossroads of how to run a profitable and enjoyable law firm because that's what I want with my business is you know profitability and and, and enjoyable i don't want to you know do something that you know is going to make me unhappy and so those are the kind of the themes that we cover and you know we're really we don't have huge am- ambition with it at the moment we just yeah. We just want to get good quality content out there and and kind of find our rhythm and I think as we we go along we'll certainly learn some of the lessons that you've carved out over the years and you know follow folks like yourself who've you know been able to really make it into something great. Oh, thank you.
1: I like how uh, I was like how's your podcast going and you were like not well. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, I think that's a good avatar for like what like I talked to attorneys about podcasting. And like, you're not going to have a giant podcast as a law firm. You're just not. You're not going to have like one of these headlining shows on Spotify. But like, it's good for marketing and branding, which is why you should do it, right? Law firms could take your approach and essentially replicate that. And that's successful as far as I'm concerned.
0: That's the idea, right? And I've I've heard this from other people who maybe are big on YouTube. And, you know, in, in the past, I've had questionable sentiment about whether or not YouTube could really be a great strategy for lawyers. But a lot of people that I've talked to don't see it as, you know, they're not trying to be YouTubers and get paid, you know, and be, be a, an influencer or something like that. But what I find really interesting is that it functions the very same way that long tail keywords work in SEO, where, you know, you, you are creating this really niche specific hyper focused content and if you can connect with the 10 people out there who are looking for that exact thing, then it's yeah. super powerful. And so I feel the same way about what we're talking about today, for instance, um, with, with attribution. So a lot of our stuff that we've talked about is is pretty niche within marketing, but I'm really trying to speak to a, a very specific avatar, uh, someone who, you know, is been through a number of marketing attempts with other companies. And, you know, it's kind of looking for a more uh, nuanced approach and, a you know, somebody who can really deliver the goods.
1: So you're not going to be a Mr. Beast Esquire either, but that's cool. Probably not. You talked about attribution, which is what we were chatting about a little bit the other day when we did your podcast together. This is probably an undercover issue as far as I'm concerned like lead attribution for a law firm. So can you I know you deal with this. Can you frame that problem a little bit for me and talk about how you try to solve
0: it with your clients? Sure. So at a very basic level, it's just understanding where your leads and ultimately clients are coming from. And that is a simple explanation, but it's in in practice, it's a, a very challenging thing to do. And oh for sure. This has been an ongoing issue or challenge for us. Over the years, to try and put into place a system that works for a lot of different types of of businesses, but you know, in a nutshell, think about where your clients come from. They all started somewhere. It's either they got onto you because of a referral, maybe they found a uh, an article that you put on your website or on YouTube or a podcast, for instance. So, attribution is really for me the practice of setting up a system and identifying where those leads and ultimately clients are coming from so that you have a better idea of what's effective what's not effective uh, when it comes to your marketing now kind of underneath that is a lot of complicating technical aspects that you know most people don't really comprehend it's it's really challenging because you've got so many different components you've got your crm you've got maybe different marketing companies, they've got their... It's a lot to together,
1: for sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it, it's you're really trying to take all of these different disparate sources, weaving them together, and then having that be functional and usable so that at the end of a quarter or at the end of a year, you can actually look back and see, okay, here's where 60% of my business came from. I should probably put more money into that. Or I spent... 50% of my marketing budget on this one source and now that I really see in black and white no, none of my business came from there it's it's always i was operating i've been operating under this assumption that people came through here and i feel like most marketing companies don't really want to have that conversation so that you know they can kind of claim that they're having a really right. great right. impact and when the tides rising that they're the the reason for that. And and so I see it, you know, not only as a, a benefit for the client, it's also a benefit for us, uh, you know, so that we can validate our efforts. And ultimately, I think that's maybe one way that we can kind of stand out in such a, a crowded competitive landscape.
1: And lawyers and business owners aren't necessarily going to ask. So if you pause the question, that's the only way a lot of them are even going to consider it. So kudos to you for asking it. You Brought something else up, which I think is interesting, which is the notion of like all these different buckets of data. So it's easier to connect all that stuff in a cloud-based environment, which most law firms should be in. But how do you have that conversation with law firms? Because part of it is, let's look at where the leads are coming in right now and try to connect this data in some effectual way. And then the other question is, maybe there's more tools that you need that you're not using and maybe you want to think about getting because you know law firms are so budget conscious they have an issue with that potentially. So can you talk about those two items as well in terms of lead attribution?
0: Yeah, I think the conversation always starts with what they're going to get out of it. And for me, that comes down to return on your investment. And it's really, I think the most compelling argument is that it's more or less an insurance policy against the marketing that you're you're paying for. So if you're paying marketing company, $1,000 a month, $5,000 a month, it's in your best interest to know with some level of certainty, whether or not they're having a positive impact on your your bottom line. And getting to the bottom of it is it really starts with having a good idea of the entire digital landscape with how your leads are coming in. And so I have a good practical example of this and why it's oh, I think okay. essential for law firms. I've talked with firms before where we would be having a conversation and they'd say something like, "Well, all of these uh, chatbot leads are, you know, really doing great for us. The the chatbot leads are are amazing." And I did kind of a double take because I'm like, well, "Wait a second, chatbots don't, you know, innately <laughs> bring a lead in, it's, you know, right. it, there's a source right. coming in, right? I mean, yeah, it's more of a well. conversion thing. Right. And so what was happening was, you know, this client was giving all of the the value attribution to the chatbot itself, as opposed to all of the SEO work that, that we were doing. And so right. they were making decisions, you know, thinking that, wow, this chatbot's really, you know, doing it all. And chatbots are great. But, you know, we also want our piece of the pie, right? And right, exactly. And, yeah. And so it's always if you can get, I think, back to that it's in their best interest, a lot of people understand, you know, the value of call rail or, you know, other other tracking technology. Yeah, phone like tracking
1: that. software. People aren't aware of that. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And so we often, you know, get into these conversations with clients who are, you know, maybe working with like a business consultant or something. And they come back to us and they're like, well, what's the ROI of your effort? Right. And, and, and you know and it's a, I mean, into the worst The absolute worst, right? <laughs> um, but it's a you know it's a fair question, but the, the the problem then is that you know typically you're looking for ROI like nine months after the campaign has started, right? And the, when you really can have a an important effort uh, or an important activity there is at the beginning of that campaign because that's what's going to set, the framework of of whether or not you're going to get that good clean data at the end and so it's it's a bit of a challenge to you know try to stitch that all together in retrospect we're having the these conversations right now and so um we're kind of always working on our how we describe this and just discuss this with our clients but i just like to thing i always you know go back to is basically you should know whether or not our efforts are working right you're investing a lot of money and so this is the way this is your insurance to know whether or not it's working that usually gets people in the in the right frame of mind especially when the typical cost of a you know a, a solution on this side is going to be like hundreds versus thousands right. so it's it's a really yes. great value compared to the opposite which is overspending by thousands of dollars on things that don't work
1: yeah and so and so i guess the other last question i want to bring up with you is something you mentioned was this notion of like with lead attribution you need good data sets right so like you can automate the collection of data or you have to you can do that in a manual fashion but how important is it to collect the data upfront and to do it correctly not to slough it off and be like oh i got somebody's email address that's enough
0: yeah it's enormous it's not so it's not such a big deal if you're actively growing your firm, but you're not in that like scaling mode yet. I think it's the most important once you get into the scaling mode, because we often get a lot of clients who are coming to us from the mode that they've built a good business. They're getting cases, but they, you know, they can't rely on referrals anymore. And so they want to start those scaling efforts. And so they're trying to figure out, should I be doing TikTok? Should I be doing Google Ads? Y- y- all of these different things, right? That's the perfect point to adopt a, a an attribution setup and to start putting at least some protocols in place or you know, guidelines of what should happen with every new lead. And sometimes it's a bit of a mix of, of manual and aided because we're trying really, really hard right now to have one consistent methodology that we we capture all of that data and have very strict rules about it. But everybody's got different systems, right? Everybody's using different CRMs, they're using different tools. And so, you know, there inevitably there's going to be some level of manual activity to it if you're not setting up something really, really good and uh and structured. And so if you don't have that, then you're going to start throwing money at these things, hoping that they work, and then trying to figure out later on what's actually working. And you'll realize you've wasted a bunch of money. You've underspent on things that were really working well. You've been basically relying on gut sentiment over you know the past year, or whatever the timeline is, to yes. make your decisions.
1: Use data to make decisions, people. For real. Patrick, this was really fun. Are you going to hang out for our last segment? I feel like you should. I'll leave Absolutely. my credit later. All right, we'll take one final sponsor break, everybody, so you can hear more about what our sponsor companies can do for you in terms of their latest offerings. Then, stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Contract automation isn't a trend; it's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches. It doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard full suite of products and includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters, so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Here we are once again at the rear end of the legal toolkit. That's right. It's the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics. All of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Well, because I'm the host. Today, we're bringing back a version of one of my favorite games, what we call, what would Florida man do? During this game, I relate a scenario and all my guests have to do, literally all they have to do is tell me whether the actions described were taken by a Florida man or not. Now, Patrick, you're located in Atlanta. So I wanted to switch things up a little bit this time and play a variation on this game that we're going to name. What would Georgia man do? How's that sound?
0: That's good. Are we, we may have one, one point of clarification if the host will allow? Yes, go. I would say are we are we talking Atlanta metropolitan area or outside of the Atlanta metropolitan area for Georgia man?
1: Yeah, I believe we're talking rural Georgia. Rural, okay. Fair enough. Think frame it as rural Georgia, very rural Georgia. <laughs> Um, So it's going to be just the same story, right? I'm going to read some news stories for you, and literally all you have to do is tell me, was the perpetrator from Georgia or not? Georgia holistically, not just Atlanta. (laughs) I'm ready. All right, here we go. News story number one. Mother's Day is going to be a little bit awkward for Larry McElroy this year. McElroy accidentally shot his mother-in-law with a 9 millimeter pistol when he was trying to kill an armadillo. The armadillo died from the wound. I guess that was the expected result. But, but, the bullet ricocheted off the animal, hit a fence, and entered through the back door of his mother's mobile home. Of course, she was in a double wide, which was 100 feet away. Then it went through the recliner in which the 74-year-old was sitting and hit her in the back. County coordinator James Doherty weighed in and said, shooting armadillos is an effective way to get rid of them. However, you have to be safe when you do that. So one thing I didn't mention before is feel free to weigh in on any of these stories and then tell me, was that a Georgia man or not?
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm not debating the fact that this absolutely <laughs> could have happened in Georgia. The, the, the detail that sticks out to me armadillos, um, you know, I, yes. I don't doubt their presence in, uh, in Georgia, but I, I don't hear it as one of the uh the main vermin that is uh typically a target in the state from firearm activity. So <laughs> I'm gonna go outside of Georgia just on the, the armadillo clause.
1: I love it when people get on and they like overanalyze all this stuff. It's great. <laughs> what I, I wonder what the main vermin is in Georgia. Possums, maybe? What are you shooting out there?
0: Well, I'm <laughs> I don't know if you track the uh Uh, The wild pigs that are terrorizing the nation uh, in the southern states. Are you familiar with I do not.
1: Is that really a thing? Please tell me about it.
0: Oh, yeah. They sell tickets to this in Texas, actually. You can get in a helicopter and use a automatic weapon to uh, shoot wild boars uh, from the helicopter because it's uh, it's such a problem down there.
1: That's wild. All right. Patrick, you're really bringing the heat here. I'm impressed. I was not expecting like news from you, but I, I buried the lead also. Not outside of Georgia. This actually happened in Georgia, not in Atlanta, yeah. but in Georgia. So yeah, I don't know. Like
0: I, I buy it. Some I mean, armadillos
1: look, hanging around, according to the internet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I buy it. So uh, we we love our guns down here and love Good. love getting them out out for use. <laughs> Good vermin
1: talk, though. Okay. News story number two. Damon Exum slammed his vehicle into a patrol car just after 2 a.m. and fled the scene. The police officer was uninjured and managed to chase down Exum and stop his vehicle. When the officer asked for Exum's driver license, he handed him a beer instead. (laughs) He
0: also had no idea he had the police car.
1: Georgia man? Not a Georgia man? What do you
0: think? A hundred percent fits the, you know, in the realm of in the realm of possibility, you know. Got to say yes, I guess. You are correct. All right,
1: sir. all right. We're at the fifty percent mark. You're one for two. I got, I got another one for you. News story number three. David Emerson Proudfoot was arrested after he allegedly donned a Disney name name. tag and attempted, I know, pretty good, right? And attempted to steal a Star Wars R2-D2 statue worth up to $10,000. First of all, this must be a fucking amazing statue of R2-D2. It's probably gold. Proudfoot was allegedly spotted pushing a cart with the statue in it while leaving the famous Swan and Dolphin Hotels at Disney. Proudfoot said he applied for a Disney World security job and wanted to move the item to point out security lapses in the hopes of getting a better paying position, which always doesn't work, everyone. He allegedly told police it wasn't his goal to take items from Disney World, although a search warrant at his home later revealed thousands of dollars worth of items stolen from, from World Please, Disney World. <laughs> what do you think of this story? Oh, I think that's Florida all the way. <laughs> you're right i kind of gave it away (laughs) see i was kind of hoping you'd overanalyze it a little bit yeah disney like maybe it's not florida
0: but it is it totally is (laughs) i just think yeah you got to go to the source if you're talking about r2d2 related crime
1: (laughs) that should be a podcast unto itself r2d2 crime maybe that's how you
0: spin it off
1: (laughs) there'll be one episode (laughs) perhaps not (laughs) all right i got two more for you you ready I'm in. Number four. Ramiro Alanis just reclaimed a Guinness World Record after resisting bathroom breaks long enough to watch Spider-Man No Way Home, which is really fucking long, 292 times. Not consecutively. I'll get to that. He previously broke the record for most cinema productions attended of the same film, that's the category, in 2019 after watching Avengers Endgame 191 times. Also a really long movie. However, in 2021, some French guy named Arnaud Klein overturned Alanis' record achievement by watching Camelot, first installment. Oh, that must be a fucking great movie. 204 times. Winning the title back wasn't easy. The terms of the record stated that the movie must be watched independently of any other activity, which meant Alanis had to hold his pee as he wasn't allowed to take bathroom breaks while watching the film. When Atlantis achieves the record for the first time in 2019, 11 of his sittings were disqualified due to the bathroom breaks he took. Now, I have a quick suggestion, like, be like a NASCAR driver or an astronaut, and if you really want to get this done, just for a diaper to the movie theater.
0: Yeah, couch cast.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that seems so easy to me. Like, come on. All right, so... Feel free to offer your thoughts on watching Spider-Man Far From Home over 200 times. It's wild. Almost 300. And also, Georgia Man or not a Georgia Man?
0: I'll go Georgia Man.
1: This is a Florida Man. Mm. Although I could see this happening in Georgia,
0: too. Yeah. I could see it, too.
1: Like, these guys, like, they're not watching. They're watching, like, really long movies. Endgame was, like, three hours long. It's
0: insane. I think that's maybe part of the uh, barrier to entry, you know, keep keep the competitive moat around their record perhaps.
1: Interestingly enough, cost this guy $4,000 to set this Guinness World record. So, clearly has a lot of time on his hands and disposable income. Last one. Last one. This is, I don't want to stop. This has been too fun.
0: Well, I'm not doing well, but uh, yeah, keep keep roasting, yeah, you know. You're you're
1: one for four. That's pretty good. You can get to 400 to be a phenomenal batting average in the okay. major leagues. You can get to 400. Right. Wendy's restaurant employee, Amy Cyber, was arrested and soon became an ex-employee when a customer called 911 to report that a half-smoked blunt had been placed inside her burger. <laughs> Cyber said she simply misplaced the joint. Saved <laughs> to all of us,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, this sounds 100% Georgia. i <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> never been more confident. <laughs>
1: You are correct. You are correct. You're hitting 400. Yeah, the other day I was at McDonald's and I was like, there's a bong in my shamrock shake. What's going on here?
0: <laughs> well done, sir. There's, there's some special folks down here. So. <laughs> but I imagine that's everywhere.
1: Yes. Yes. You've handled yourself very well.
0: I appreciate it. I could do these all day. Keep keep rolling. I'm, I love, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to keep overanalyzing them, but, you know. <laughs> I've only got five. But
1: uh, we'll <laughs> have to have you back on and we'll do another 10. Fuck it. Yeah, We'll do, I would, we'll I would, do a year yeah, end episode.
0: Hit me, hit me up for the uh, the Vermin <laughs> spinoff. <laughs> yeah, we got to do a Vermin
1: spinoff. Patrick, you're a great guest. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me and uh, hope, hope to be back. All right. Take it easy. If
1: you want to find out more about Patrick Carver and Constellation Marketing, visit goconstellation.com. That's G O C O. N-S-T-E-L-L-A-T-I-O-N GoConstellation.com Now, for those of you listening in between Georgia, I've got a great playlist for you. We talked about Georgia today on the podcast and there are actually an amazing, staggering amount of great songs about Georgia. So I'm releasing my official Georgia playlist with my best 30. I've run out of time today to talk about my feelings on participation trophies, but I just want you all to know that you each get one. This is Jared Korea reminding you that sometimes that's just the way it is. for a podcast that was created for new solos? Then join me, Adriana Linares, each month on the new solo podcast. We talk to lawyers who have built their own successful practices and share their insights to help you grow yours. You can find new solo on the Legal Talk Network or anywhere you get your podcasts.